Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and today's date is March 1st, 2017. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording from the Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. Hey, you know, it's March. It's March now, which means pretty soon it will be April. Pretty soon it will be the damn season. I can't wait. I think it's going to be a great year, and, and we're getting closer and closer. And the... Teams that have big holes and, and big question marks on their their roster have only, you know, they got to start fixing it. They got to start getting some putty. Now, one thing we all have to remember is the team that breaks camp is not necessarily the team that's going to be playing in October. When you take a look at some of the people who were so, you know, such major contributors to some of the teams that played last year, I mean, like, you know, the, I've had a lot to say about a role as Chapman, but he was a midseason pickup, as was Andrew Miller with the Cleveland Indians. You know, the, what would the Indians' postseason be like without Miller? You know, very, very important figures can be picked up in midseason. And, you know, you never know. Sometimes you may find yourself in a situation where you have a hole on your team and you fill it with someone who you're not expecting. Now, one of the teams that is going to be considered to be a big-time contender this year, and I think they will be, are the Washington Nationals. They won the division in 2012, 2014, 2016. With a bounce here or there, people might be talking about them as an even-year team and not the San Francisco Giants. But once again, the Washington Nationals could not get out of their way, and they were eliminated in the division series. And you know, they've, they're going into this year... And, you know, the window of opportunity is there, but they don't know how much longer it's going to be there, especially with injuries to some key players. You don't know what you're going to get out of Max Scherzer. You know, if he's injured, you don't know what's happening there. Lord knows what you're going to get out of Steven Strasburg these days. He could be an ace. He could not be. And how many more years will Bryce Harper be there? But I think right now, barring catastrophic injury, the Washington Nationals have to be considered, if not the favorite, then certainly the two top favorites in the National League East are pending health of lots of players. And that's interesting that you see the the Mets are completely based upon whether or not they're going to get their young starting rotation healthy again. And the Nationals are about, are they going to get another MVP caliber season out of Bryce Harper or a letdown season? And what is the situation with Scherzer and Strasburg. When you stop and think about it like that, those are the top two contenders, the Mets and Washington. And with that in mind, the Mets and Washington could be in a situation where if they both have a ton of injuries, would that leave it open for a team like the rebuilding Phillies, the rebuilding Braves, and the Lord knows what's happened to the Marlins to sneak in. I mean, I, I don't think the Braves are in a position to sneak in. I don't I think the Phillies are a long way. But, you know, you never know. I mean, what happened to the Nationals in 2012 
was that everyone thought the Marlins were going to be good and the Phillies were going to remain good. And they both had terrible years in 2012. The Mets were going nowhere in a hurry. And the Braves uh, collapsed down the stretch. And by process of elimination, the Washington Nationals won the division that year in a year where they thought it was, okay, well, we're going to get better. We'll probably win 83, 84 games and build our way up to become a panic contender in 2013. And that's why the, the, the low-hanging fruit of, the, of a potential big upset in a division would be in the National League East if catastrophic injury befall those two franchises. I don't think that's going to happen. But it's you know not out of the realm of possibility. Strasburg's hurt all the time. Scherzer has soreness and all this, and you don't know if that's just early spring you know kinks that need to be worked out or the beginning of the end, a la Johan Santana and Tim Lincecum, who fell off a cliff when everyone thought they were putting together Hall of Fame careers. I did a whole podcast about Max Scherzer just a couple of days ago. And, of course, the Mets, are, you know, they're, they're held together by yarn and half-chewed gum. So, I mean, that scenario is conceivable. I don't think – I think one of those teams will hold it together long enough to win the division and maybe even make a run at it. Now, one of the cl- positions in Washington that is kind of up for grabs right now is closer with Mark Melanson, their closer – off to San Francisco, who picked up a closer a couple of months too late, there's kind of a, well, an open audition that's going on in Washington. You know, Blake uh, Training, I never had to pronounce some of their names. I'm sorry. Sometimes I just type them without saying them. Uh, Sean, Sean Kelly, um, go to Glover. There's a bunch of players who are, you know, on the team who could potentially close. Now, keep in mind another thing. Uh, The World Series has not been clinched by a team who has had, whose closer was the closer that they broke camp with. The last time that happened was in 2010. Brian Wilson was the closer for the Giants and remained the closer till the end of the World Series. Now think about 2011, Jason Mott. Think about 2012, Uh, Sergio Romo was the closer. Brian Wilson began the year as the closer for the Giants. And actually Santiago Casilla had the most saves during the course of the year. So there were several pitchers who took the closer mantle. Think about the Boston Red Sox when they won the Boston Strong 2013 year. They broke camp with Hanrahan as the closer, handed it over to Bailey, handed it over to Tozawa, handed it over to bullpen by committee, and the fourth option was Koji Uehara, who had the dominant second half and was the ALCS most valuable player. 2014 began the season with Sergio Romo as a closer, and they switched over to Santiago Casilla. 2015... They started, the Royals started with Holland as the closer. He got injured, and Wade Davis finished the year as the bullpen closer. And then last year, the Chicago Cubs started with Rondon as the closer and ended with Chapman. And the reason I keep bringing that up, and it's, I brought this up before, is the notion of starting the season with an experienced closer 
is, I think, somewhat overrated. And when you consider the fact that you can win, and you can win quite often, changing closers in midstream, that maybe, I don't know, just maybe, the notion of, well, we got to break camp with, a, with an experienced arm in there, eh, don't worry about it. The arm will show up. I mean, this trend continued. I mean, there were other years in the 2000s. I mean, Jason Isringhausen was the closer of the uh, Cardinals for most of the year, but come World Series time, it was Adam Wainwright because of injury. Uh, most of the year in 2005, Dustin Hermanson was the closer for the Chicago White Sox, but come World Series time, it was Bobby Jenks. The Marlins had uh, several pitchers be their closer in 2003 and finished the year with Ugether Bina, who started the year on another team. So you can, you know, the closers can emerge like a magic eye drawing. It's like, do you know what? This guy's getting the job done. Let's keep forking it over to him. And you're starting to see, and the thing that I think will be interesting in the wake of the way bullpens were handled in the World Series and postseason last year was the bridge, the position of the bridge, the person who fills the gap. And you saw going to your good solid reliever in the fifth or sixth or seventh inning was something to realize that, hey, that's probably a smart thing to do. Managers realizing the tyranny of the save is a thing of folly. The tyranny of the save meaning you save your best there's two it's tyranny of the save for those of you who are new to the podcast the tyranny of the save refers to two mindsets where the save statistic basically rules how you use your bullpen first of all the idea of using the same pitcher to pitch the ninth because they compile saves that only makes sense if that's a difference making pitcher if it's a dominating pitcher if it's just someone who compiles saves that just bring in the best pitcher for that particular situation. Yes, when you have a dominating closer, you should bring them in to close out the ninth inning. But do you know what? There aren't 30 dominant closers in baseball. There's probably only four or five. So the fact of the matter is, using the same pitcher every night for the ninth inning, just because, well, I got 35 saves. Well, you know what? A save can mean you had a three-run lead and you only let up two runs. You still got to save. The notion of using a pitcher only for the save, that's part of it. The other part of the tyranny to save is if you're in a situation, you have a quality reliever, but you don't use him in any situation but the ninth, is lunacy as well. The game could be on the line in the sixth inning or the seventh inning. And if you bring in an inferior pitcher at that point, then it may not matter what you have in that great pitcher go in the ninth inning. And that's the thing that Francona used with Andrew Miller. Instead of just using him in the ninth inning, he said, you know what? I'm going to use him as a weapon to shut down rallies midway. And that position, the bridge, could be a new position, could be a new valuable, could be a new lucrative position. And a pitcher who could be fulfilling that role for Washington was signed recently, and that's Joe Blanton. Blanton had a wonderful year last year with um, the Los Angeles Dodgers and was, was quite effective in his, um, what was it, in his 80 innings of bullpen work and 75 appearances. He, you know, 7-2 record. Yeah, I don't look at the record. 
you know, 2.48 ERA. He was very effective. And he was very effective the previous year, splitting between Kansas City and Pittsburgh. Now, I, I, I like Joe Blanton. I do. Joe Blanton has pitched for a long time. Uh, this is going to be his 13th season, or 14th season in the major leagues. Well, I mean, he missed an entire season in the minor leagues in 2014. So let's just call it his 13th season. Uh, was a Rookie of the Year candidate when he came up with the Oakland A's in 2005 and was one of the reasons why, I guess, Billy Bean thought that um, both Tim Hudson and Mark Mulder were somewhat expendable, especially if they could get good packages back for them. You know, by 2006, you know, he was a 16-game winner, you know, pitching a bunch of innings. He was, it looks like he was an innings-eating pitcher for the A's moving forward, but... He started to slow down. He was a classic number four or five pitcher with by the time he was ending with Oakland and going to Philadelphia. And when he was with the Phillies, he was kind of the the forgotten guy on that Phillies staff. Now, he went to the Philadelphia Phillies in 2008, still as a pitcher and still as a starting pitcher. And he... Played only half the season for the Phillies that year, but played in the World Series. And if you don't remember this, he hit a home run. He hit a home run in the World Series, Joe Blanton did. And his reward was to stay around in Philadelphia for the next few years, 2009. He wound up winning 12 games and having a 4.05 ERA for the team that went back to the World Series. But he really wasn't that effective in 2010. And I remember in 2011... In 2011, when the the Phillies assembled the what everyone thought was going to be the greatest pitching staff of all time, where they had Roy Halladay, they had Cliff Lee, they had Roy Oswalt, they had Cole Hamels, and the fifth wheel on that was Joe Blanton. And I remember there was a press conference shortly at, at I think it was around the beginning of spring training. I could be wrong. It could be conflating some things in my head. And they had the five pitchers up there. And, of course, Blanton just seemed so out of place with these four pitchers who had, you know, these pedigrees of postseason success and dominance and ace pitchers, and there's poor old Joe Blanton. And someone made a reference saying that Cole Hamels was the only one of that bunch who had won a World Series. And Joe was like, well, I won one too, you know, forgetting that he was on 2008. And he clearly... He, he handled it with, with some class and with a sense of humor, but he clearly was not of the pedigree of the rest, but was fortunate to be on that 2011 Phillies team that went on to dominate the National League and win the World Series. Except that they didn't. They lost a startling division series to the St. Louis Cardinals, and that was the beginning of the end of the Phillies. And really, when you look at what happened to Blanton after that, it's a classic example of someone who looked like, well, that's the end of his career. You know, he was not very effective with the Phillies the next year. And then he wound up with the Dodgers and wasn't very good. He wound up on the Angels and was terrible in 2013. He was in the minor leagues all of 2014. And at that point, he was 33 years old, couldn't make the majors, had two or three bad years in a row, and you basically looked at it and said, well, that's his career. And it would have been a nice career. It would have been like what? You know, it would have been like seven or eight years in the major leagues, won a World Series. You know, you can have a worse career than that. But then in 2015, 
he reemerged. He was pretty good with the Royals, the team that went on to win the World Series, and then wound up being dealt to the Pirates where he was terrific out of the bullpen. He was fantastic out of the bullpen. He was a dominating middle reliever for the Pirates that went on to win the wild card. And he wound up being with the Los Angeles Dodgers last year and having the effective year. So now he's in his mid-30s and is a good, solid, effective reliever, completely reinventing himself. And go from a you know starter who's fallen apart, career is over, reinvent himself. The back of his baseball card is super cluttered right now. When you look at since 2012, you'd say Phillies, Dodgers, Angels, out of baseball, Royals, Pirates, Dodgers, Nationals. I love careers like that. Survivors. Joe Blanton's a survivor and the kind of person that we should admire. He's come all the way back and is now a coveted major leaguer who fills a certain role. His career looked over, and now it's not. And I love stories like that. I love relievers like that. I love the relievers who find a new job every year. It seems like Alan Embry was one of those kind of pitchers. Every year he's going to be on a different team. Arthur Rhodes, every year on a different team. Octavio Dotel. Cluttered baseball card. Who needs who needs me for a job? And I'm wondering, as he has a career two saves in his life, Koji Uehara had barely any saves when he became the closer for the world champion Red Sox in 2013. I wonder if this revolving door and auditions for closers in Washington will lead to Joe Blanton becoming the closer. And let me tell you something very interesting. If by very interesting, you mean something that your pal Sully finds very interesting, and the rest of you might think, wait, what? Why are you telling me this? Only one current major league city, and in fact, of all the major league cities that don't even have teams anymore, like Brooklyn and Montreal, they all have one thing in common, that the city of Washington doesn't have. Do you know what that is? The city of Washington has never had a postseason end with a pitcher throwing the final pitch for an out and the pitcher celebrating on the mound. That's never happened for a Washington team. Never. It happened in Montreal when they won the division series in 1981. It happened in Brooklyn when the Dodgers won the World Series in 1955. Every other franchise, Marlins, Rockies, Diamondbacks, the Rays, I mentioned them because of the expansion teams, the Padres, all teams that don't have rich postseason traditions and histories. Every team out there, every city has had a moment where a pitcher held their arms up and said, we clinched this, we clinched this. Maybe they don't say that verbatim. Except for the city of Washington. The city of Washington has seen one postseason series victory in their history. The 1924 World Series. But that was won in extra innings on a walk-off single. Walter Johnson didn't get the final out and jump up and down. No. 
It was one with a base hit. And that 1924 series was the only series that any Washington team, the Senators that year, that the only time the city of Washington's ever won a postseason series. We've never had a Washington pitcher clinch a postseason series. And I wonder if it will be Joe Blanton. That seems to me like he would be the perfect candidate for this. A survivor, someone who's reinvented himself, a person who goes from team to team, have glove, have ball, will travel. And maybe if the merry-go-round of closers in Washington lands on, hey, why don't we just give it to Joe? He seems to do the job, right? Let's just hand it to Joe and get on with our lives. That could be the smart thing for them to do. But either way, it's never happened for a Washington team. And it could just be the perfect spot for a pitcher who mm, didn't quite make it long-term as a starter, but is finding a nice home as a reliever. And in the tradition of world champions who switch over their closers midway through, I don't know. He could be the perfect candidate. I'm rooting for you, Joe Blanton. I like relievers with careers like this. So go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Bringing in March with praise for Joe Blanton. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.